and welcome to the show. It's me, John Park, and it's time for another episode of John Park's Workshop. We're here in the workshop, and you are right over here in the Discord and in our YouTube chat, so thanks so much for stopping by. If you are wondering where's the chat and you're on Twitch or Facebook or some other place like that, and the chat seems a little quiet, then head on over to adafru.it slash Discord. Jump into the live broadcast chat channel. And you will see the likes of these people, Mouse, Andy Calloway, Jim Hendrickson, Paul Cutler, C. Grover. Hello and welcome, DJ Devin. Thanks everyone for stopping on by, Janisku. Hello, 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 Snakey Maker Cat. Howdy. Uh, I'm glad everyone has stopped by. And David S. and Charles Burnford, thanks for jumping in over on the YouTube to keep things hopping over there. Uh, let's see, we got a bunch of cool stuff to do today. So first of all, I will uh, give you a coupon code to use. That's right, it's the return of the coupon code. I had gone dark on coupon codes during the early quarantine pandemic, but now they're back. And what that means is you can place an order in the Adafruit store, and with this coupon code that I'm hyping a whole bunch, 10% off on anything you buy other than gift certificates, subscriptions, and software, but any actual goods, stuff that'll get shipped to you like that. Here's a little hint at your coupon code. It is the very rare and exciting fourth monster cereal who hasn't really made an appearance since 1982 and then once again in 2013, but now he's back, it's Fruit Brute. And that is today's coupon code just because I like cereal. So uh, if you type in Fruit Brute in the coupon code section, 10% off. and hurry on out to Target if you want to try to find a, a box of this stuff. I, I think it's exclusive. It might be with a different box at other places, but if you go to Target, you get this uh, nicer illustration, uh, original style illustration, so that weird, horrible CG thing that they did in later years. And this one is a collab with Street Artist Cause, so you can see the signature X's for eyes. Look at that guy right there. And there he is with the weird Cause mouse guy thing. Fruit Brute. Uh, I could talk about cereal all day, so just let me know if you have any cereal questions. Uh, That's right, this is Phil B's favorite cereal. He loves the, there is no dragon monster cereal, so this is as close as we get, is the Fruit Brute. Um, Some other Fruit Brute facts. Fruit Brute, when it got canceled and then came back, came back sort of as Yummy Mummy, known as Fruity Yummy Mummy. It was kind of the same cereal and not officially a monster until much later. They have a weird, they really just stick with Frankenberry, Booberry, and Count Chocula, but the Fruit Brute and the Yummy Mummy have kind of come and gone as a weird, they've changed flavors too, so watch out. Uh, so let's see, is that, is that enough cereal talk? Probably. Um, we also have a job board. That's got nothing to do with cereal. If you head on over to jobs.adafruit.com, Uh, You can check out postings there. Uh, It's entirely free, so you can post jobs if you're looking to hire someone, and it can be anything from freelance, contract, part-time, full-time, on-site, remote. All of those are options, and it's entirely free and entirely vetted. So check on out that right there, that help wanted sign. Check that out uh, at jobs.adafruit.com. Oh, someone found a dragon cereal. Dragons had a cereal. <laughs> How about that? I did not know. What's it taste like? It looks kind of good. I like cereal. Okay, so what else? Uh, mentioned the jobs board. I uh, don't know if I mentioned this 
already. I think I didn't. I've got a show on Tuesdays right there. It's called JP's Product Pick of the Week. And uh, during the show, I like to pick something from the store. Uh, in this case, five somethings from the store. We had all flavors, the red, green, blue, yellow, and white versions of the 14-segment alphanumeric display backpack that now has STEM QT on it. Uh, get a big discount during the show. It's 50% off on all of those versions of it during the show. No coupon code needed during that time. Just throw it in the cart and get it before the show is over. Here's a little recap of what we did. That right there is my product pick of the week. It is the Quad Alpha Numeric 14 segment LED backpack. It runs over I squared C, so you know what we did. We did what we always do. We added a Stemma QT slash quick port. There's actually two of them back there. Light up individual segments if you want. Uh, yeehaw, my friend. I have five of these displays, each color. I have them all plugged into each other on the back using the Stemma QT, and then I have that plugged into a little cutie pie here. Each of these I have set the jumpers on to uh, give them unique addresses. Alpha stuff, it says alphanumeric display. Once you have this set up, you can just throw long lines of text at it or strings of numbers. It knows what to do, so there's nothing you have to do to manage it. It just acts as a single display, which is terrific. The library is excellent. It is the Quad Alphanumeric 14 segment LED backpack display with Stemma QT. Yes, it is. Uh, I have the set, the display over there. You can see it on the little Lego board, but it was, whoa, it was, uh, not agreeing with the shutter rate of that camera, so it was looking very weird, so I, I decided to turn it off. Maybe I'll mess with that. That's always a challenge to get the frame rates of, of shutter speeds and uh, display refreshes to agree. All right, so why don't we jump into a little bit of a kind of cool circuit Python Parsec that I've got prepared for you today. Check it out. All right, let's do it. For the CircuitPython Parsec today, I wanted to talk about how to light up a bunch of random pixels using bitmap in display I.O. So here you can see I have a single green pixel lit up in the center of this display. You can barely see it there, one little dot, and this is a 320 by 240 display, so that's one little lonely dot. Uh, so the way this is done right now, and it'll get cooler in a moment, is I've got display I.O. set up. This is a little TFT feather wing running on a Feather M4. And I'm creating a bitmap object that is the width and height of the display. And I'm giving it a four color palette. That's how many colors it can use when it draws. I've set up that palette and I've set up a tile grid to hold the bitmap. And that's inside of a main group for the display. I've set up my palette as these four colors, black, red, green, and blue. And then right now, all we're really doing is lighting up this one bitmap. Uh, you can see here, if I add a few more to this and hit save, you're gonna see four little, a little cluster of four dots there. Uh, it looks a little like a fuzzier, bigger dot, right? Uh, but now it gets interesting when in my main loop, instead of just passing, what I'm gonna do is use randomness to pick a random XY location on the bitmap because the bitmap covers the whole screen in this case. So I'm gonna pick one pixel at a time and I'm gonna randomize my color among the four choices of the palette and then I'll display it. Wait a tiny little bit of time and repeat. So if I save this now, you're gonna see we get this nice 
sort of snow uh, pattern, kind of like TV snow. I don't have white in there, so, so it doesn't look quite like snow. Uh, but that is a really simple way to scatter a whole bunch of pixels around just using one bitmap. The bitmap is used for drawing things, lines, boxes, and so on. They're all just routines or loops inside of the bitmap to pick which pixels you're showing. And this is a really nice way to randomize that. So this is how you can display some multicolored snow using bitmap inside of CircuitPython. And that is your CircuitPython Parsec. Uh, by the way, I appreciate Johnny Bergdahl in the chat said, and now JP will magically light up two dots. Woo, four. How much patience would you have for me to one by one add every pixel? That could take hours. Uh, I guess if we wrote a loop for it, it wouldn't. And you can see, actually, this is still, still lighting up there. It's kind of a cool look. Uh, there's so much you can do, and uh, this came from a suggestion, by the way, from Toddbot, who's had questions from people about how can you use Display.io to just light up a single pixel. And while there isn't really a pixel uh, routine, the choice of which pixel to light up inside of a single bitmap acts like that. So you can, you can uh, graph out your, your display. You can draw a smiley face if you had the right routine. Uh, then there are other convenience routines that let you do things like rectangles and triangles and stuff, so you don't have to... Uh, cook that up yourself every time. Uh, so, let's see. Oh, yeah. Uh, DJ Devin in the chat said that uh, we could do the star field from the Windows 98 screensaver with this sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Halloween. Nice idea. Some, some red and maroon drops. I dig it. Hey, Yanisku. Thanks for the, thanks for the gif. All right. That's, that's the nice snow right there. All right, uh, let's see what is next. I want to jump back to this display here. Uh, go over a couple things. So one, okay, we've got Lars has made an appearance on a box of cereal, which is ridiculous. So thanks for that, Andy Calloway. There's dragons with, uh, with Lars's instead. Um, I wanted to jump over to the learn guides section here and show you inside of the new guides section. I'll just hit view all. Uh, I published this guide right here, which is the walk person guide. It's a collaboration with Noe Ruiz, who did the 3D printed case. And by the way, he's got a really nice uh, addendum to the case there. You can see that purple one. Uh, he realized that since I was lighting up the four NeoPixels that are on the NeoKey there, he could do a uh, different material. Pause, feed in some more light diffusing material, print a few layers like that, and then go back to that purple. And so now you have this kind of display, which is really cool looking on top. Uh, so guide is out. You can check that out over on learn.adafruit.com. Uh, going through this, we have the parts explosion there that Noe put together, the CAD part list and all the STLs there, as well as the source files, if you want those in Fusion. Uh, and then if we head over to, there's install circuit Python, I'll skip that. There's code the walk person. This goes through the code as well as preparing uh, a little link for preparing your MP3 files. Uh, naming conventions, which are also important for making your little SD card 
mixtapes. And then I have a little code explainer here that tells you sort of what each main section of the code is and how those are used. And if we scroll down, we've got the section on building the circuit. So I put this on a couple of diagrams. One is a breadboard diagram, which is actually a really good way to build it at first to make sure you understand how everything's working together. Uh, before you go and solder it, I do recommend put it together on a breadboard. I sometimes skip this step in a rush and then regret it later. Uh, so kind of, kind of important, uh, I find, to, to sort of verify things work before you solder them down. And then I have this version of it that looks a little more like what the, the real uh, PCBs will look like when you put it onto a featherwing doubler, as I did with some of the connections still uh, wired there. And then I have the photos uh, that I took here. And actually I was experimenting a little bit with shooting photos. Usually I shoot them here on the workbench, uh, but last week when I was shooting these photos, it was when we had the heat wave here in Southern California and I didn't really wanna run this AC and, and, and run up the bill and potentially contribute to crushing our electrical grid. So I, uh, set up my indoor space. I have a, another workshop, a smaller workshop, and, and did the photos in there. So I think they turned out well. You probably wouldn't notice the difference too much. Uh, here we have some of the soldering onto the feather doubler. And I love using these because you get a bunch of connections for free to the feather, as well as some little bits of prototyping area that you can use. Uh, setting up my headphone out. I also like doing this, uh, this little trick here you can see go to the full size photo. Even though that little uh, I2S amplifier has a terminal block that comes with a little screw terminal block that you're supposed to solder in there, for ease of assembly, and since this isn't really gonna get shaken around too much, uh, at least I don't think it should, I opted instead to just use a little tiny bit of socket header soldered in and bent down at a 90 degree angle so I could just push DuPont uh, cables into the back there. Also, you'll notice, uh, I like these, if you take a look at this right here, I'll go to the full scale view of it. I really like using our um, premium silicon jumpers in projects like this where I'll leave one half. So again, you can see here, I wanted to be able to do some interconnect, but I didn't want to assemble all those cables by hand. So I just cut some of my cables in half. And, and in this case, I think they had socket on one end and pin on the other. So now I have those to use in projects. You'll see that I've done that again here today for, for today's project. Uh, but that allows me to use a, allows me to use silicon wire, which is great in a cramped space like this because it doesn't, uh, it's not so difficult to bend as our PVC, more typical wire. The premium stuff is silicone covered, really flexy. Uh, and then I get all of those, those connections. One issue, as you'll see, that I have to deal with here is we only sell them in packs of four colors. So it's, uh, let me see, I have a set of them here. Uh, these are some of the ones that are female, female, or socket, socket. Uh, so we only have them in red, blue, yellow, and black. So what I did in this case was just put some, uh, heat shrink over the ends of them so that I could tell which one was which when I was soldering on the other end or plugging it in. I asked Lady Ada and Mary, who does a lot of our sourcing, if we could have some made up in other colors. And I don't know what the status of is 
of that is right now, but I believe we are gonna at some point get some more unique colors, which would be great. I would love to get, you know, if you, if you take a look at your typical um, rainbow jumper wire sets, you get, you can see this, that's repeating uh, like three times there, but you get a lot of colors. You get, I would love to have like 10 or 12 colors to work with, it'd be amazing. Um, and you can do that, by the way, if you use just our silicone wire. Uh, we've got just these spools of, these come in a bunch of colors in a couple of different um, diameters or gauges, but the um, not having to crimp on wire connectors is fantastic. So, especially when you're breadboarding, doing a bunch of breadboarding. Uh, these are great. So, oh yeah, Todd says over in the chat, I, that's why I have black and silver Sharpies on hand. I put black stripes or silver stripes on each end of the cables to disambiguate. That's smart. Uh, and let's see, other stuff I wanted to show you in here. And by the way, if anyone puts one of these together and has any questions along the way, please reach out on our Discord for project help. Uh, I know that Noe put, put one together, and so he's got one that he built based uh, I think just on the diagrams. I don't even think I had these photos up yet, but he, he got it all working just off the diagrams, which is great. And we've got the little on-off switch there. There's also this very clever little uh, captive slide switch holder. You can see that little white part at the bottom there that takes one of our little uh, SPDT switches, slide switches, and clips it in, and then you can screw that to the case, which is really nice. Uh, here you can see, actually, this is a nice view of me getting ready to sandwich all those wires down. So that board is going to sit on top of that board and having the, the silicone jumpers. It would be great to use thinner ones. Thinner wire would be good. Um, also looking forward to iSpy displays because that's, other than the SD card uh, pins on that wiring, that's all display stuff. And it would be, be great to just use the iSpy thin little ribbon cable. And here you can see the headphone jack there in action, just plugged into that I2S amplifier. Mounting the buttons, mounting the rotary encoder, using our little SD card extender. Here's a good view of uh, the extender to give us the distance that we need there to get outside of the case, so you can swap out SD cards. And final assembly, so I've got a group of Stemma QT connections there. I probably could have gone with a shorter cable on this one. I could have gone with like the 50 millimeter uh, instead of the 100 millimeter for that connection from the keys to the rotary encoder. Uh, I didn't have one on hand, so I didn't, but this worked out. And then final assembly here, you can see we've got it all uh, snap fit together with that case. And there it is. So uh, go check that out. And the files are up there. So I'd love to see some examples of people picking their favorite uh, colorways to do a beautiful looking walk person. Uh, DJ Devin asks, do we stock that extender? Yes, we do. Uh, in fact, if you I'm just going to widen this page a little bit so that the side shows up. Uh, over here on the side are all the products that are in it, all the part products that are in it. Um, and so if you scroll, I guess if we hit view all, yeah, so a fewer feature, but if we hit view all, that'll take us to the full list. 
And the extender doesn't look like the extender in, a, in the picture because it's actually connected to a Raspberry Pi. Um, so you're not, you won't see what you think you're looking for. Uh, but that's the extender, it's $4.50. It has um, a very simple, uh, it's not a spring-loaded connector. Uh, the, the extension end goes into whatever, and on a lot of devices that is spring-loaded, but on the uh, little end where you'll put the SD card that's just uh, sprung from the contacts, but there isn't that click, 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 you just pull it out or push it in. Uh, so yeah, there's 77 of them in stock and they're $4.50, so you, there you go. Go grab a bunch of those. We have some other SD card extenders for other types of projects that use a ribbon cable. Um, so if you're trying to get something real far away, the ribbon cable is like this long. Um, in fact, let me, let me find that SD extender. Let me go to the store and not learn. There we go. Uh, SD... So this is a SD card extender and is a micro SD card extender. It's a little more expensive because they have more parts, but um, depending on the type of build you're doing, these are great. It gives you uh, a nice extra reach for your SD card. All right, let's see. Let's... Uh, Move on now to, that's enough on the walk person. Let's move on now to next project. So uh, first of all, you remember a few weeks ago, I put out a guide on using motorized faders called a flying faders guide. Um, you can go check that out. In fact, let me, I'll bring that back up real quick. Uh, go to learn flying faders. Uh, so this shows you how to tell a motorized uh, slide potentiometer to go to a particular position uh, as well as read it if you're moving it and use the capacitive touch to uh, disengage the motor when you want to touch it and move it to a new position and also have some presets so you can use buttons. So uh, the basic idea is that a slide potentiometer is a linear version of a servo motor, a hobby servo essentially. It has a DC motor uh, that is controlled usually with pulse width modulation. They usually run somewhere around 5 to 10 volts DC and um, they can go forward or reverse so you need to use some sort of an H-bridge driver that can send the voltage in either direction. Uh, and then the potentiometer is being read on one of the analog ports of your microcontroller and if you look at those two things, you can say, okay, when I get to a certain position, I can stop moving the motors. This is what allows you to stop right in the middle by, uh, if we use that sort of typical zero to 255 range, you could say, okay, I wanna go to 127, uh, and the motor will stop when it reads that servo feedback from the, um, uh, from the slide potentiometer. So uh, I was just noticing Mouse said, oh no, not the flying faders again. I have managed to resist buying them so far. Please do not torture me anymore. Actually, I don't know, I don't know if they're in stock at the moment. Let me, let me look and see. Uh, oh yeah, it's out of stock. So no danger right now. Um, but I picked up a few of these when, when we first came out with them and uh, Lamore saw a cool desktop sculpture that Massimo Banzi posted on his uh, Twitter feed, Massimo, who's one of the uh, founders of Arduino. And it was a set of three uh, sort of ball screw linear actuators with stepper motors, so 
you know, a piece of a gantry from a CNC or a, a 3D printer type of thing. And it was just pretty to watch these ball screw uh, actuators moving. There were three of them, and they were just moving a little 3D printed block looking thing up and down. I should find that, find that tweet. Um, if anyone finds it, put it in the chat and I'll, uh, I'll show that. And Lady said, hey, why don't you do something like that with faders in, instead of a linear actuator? We've got these little slide pots and they essentially are linear actuators. Um, so the first thing I did was went over to Fritzing where I had originally laid out my um, diagram for doing just, just the single one and multiplied it by four. So let me jump over to that page and I'll go to the breadboard view here. So here you can see this is sort of the origin of the project for me as I started out with uh, I have a Feather RP2040 on here and this would work with pretty much any microcontroller that has um, I squared C because I'm going to be using the motor feather wing which communicates over I squared C. Touch, we want capacitive touch on there so we can touch and communicate with these or maybe not you could kind of maybe if you're just going to have it moving as a perpetual sculpture you won't you won't need the touch at all but I've, I've got that working here um, and on the feather rp2040 pretty much any of the gpio pins can be a touch pin so long as you ground the pin to one uh to with a one mega ohm resistor so that there's the cap touch pin and then it's it's being sent to ground um, the other thing you'll need is four analog ins so analog to digital converters, because we're gonna read four of those uh, sliders. And if you look here, I have sort of mocked up, we don't have a fritzing object for these, but I've kind of mocked them up by using an existing fader object. Uh, I added a little piece of perf board right here. So this is a fritzing object that's uh, perf board and it can be um, adjusted for the number of columns and rows that you want. So, is it gonna let me? There we go, you have to hit the set board size button. Uh, so you can just use these, the smallest I, I think you can get them is down to five, one by five uh, for some reason. So I use those when I don't have something to connect to and that's because the slide potentiometer we're using, uh, grab one right now, has one extra uh, connection on it at one end here. So instead of just having the um, positive voltage of the voltage divider and the wiper, we also have that touch pin that I've, I've got, I'm using a blue wire there on. Um, and then I just put a, a fritzing DC motor down here. So this, this here just makes it easier to keep track of that part if I move stuff around. Um, and then I'm running the, you can see the cap touch of all four going into these pins 12, 11, 10, and nine, and I have the one mega ohm resistor there. And then I have a power and ground, which are used for uh, both the positive side of the voltage divider and the uh, ground side of that voltage divider, that is what the, the potentiometer is doing. And then I also have a uh, pin here running to an analog in. And then you'll notice the motors 
are running nowhere near that because I plopped a feather wing right here in the middle. This is the DC motor stepper feather wing. So it can drive DC motors in uh, four of them in two directions, uh, or you can use this for steppers. So this normally is gonna live right on top of uh, your feather, but just to make the, the wiring a little clearer, uh, I've, I've got it down here. So um, one thing I do, I tend to do now in fritzing is also make sure that I have the schematic looking clean. It helps, uh, helps keep things straight and some people might wanna refer to that uh, instead. So I might include that uh, in the guide as well. Uh, also, by the way, that makes life easier if you think you wanna go and do uh, a PCB. You can do PCBs inside of uh, fritzing. You just have to make sure you get your schematic straight first. You can't just go from breadboard to, to there, uh, or at least maybe you can, but I, I wouldn't advise it. Uh, the, the reality check of, of the um, schematic view is helpful. Also lets you do things like create ground plane objects and not have to run all the wires everywhere. So I have little, little breadboard objects or uh, schematic objects for things like ground and power. All right. Uh, so then uh, the next thing was to put this together. So let me jump over to the bench. And, oh, sorry, I've got, uh, I've got a little blocker I forgot to put up that keeps some of that air conditioning wind off of the camera mount over my bench. Let me see if that'll settle that camera down. One second. That might divert. Yeah, I think that worked. Good. All right, uh, so I'm just bring up my Discord over here. Um, here's the assembly. So just like in the diagram there, I've got my motor feather wing. And you can see if I pull it apart here, the only thing it's connected to is, and I've just got one, I don't have all four faders connected. Uh, I've just got the one fader uh, with its motor, its DC motor, and again, you can see here I'm using these uh, uh, hacked up silicone jumper wires, which allows me to have some nice little attachments there and color coding so I can get this in and out of an enclosure or any other type of work I'm, I'm gonna do with it, it'll make life easier. And so those run to uh, one of the motor outputs of the motor feather wing. And then the motor feather wing, it has also um, point here. So we've got these four outputs. So four pairs for four motors. Uh, and then this is the power input. So motor feather wing does not use the three volt power, the USB power, the battery powder, power that's coming off of your feather wing, we instead have an external DC input. And so for that, I'm using uh, one of our little breakouts here for a typical DC barrel jack uh, and plug. And the plug here is coming from some DC adapter I found in my pile of DC adapters that is a nine volt, one amp. Um, and I think I measured, uh, we'll see if that's adequate, because I measured one of the 
um, motors here at about half an amp. So I think I, I may need something beefier, like four, four amps would be nice on this. Um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see what I can get away with with, uh, with less at first. So that's power and control. And the way the DC, uh, sorry, the way the motor feather wing works is it is a uh, pulse width modulation of the voltage. So you can choose the uh, frequency of your duty cycle of the pulses, which we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, you can choose the decay style of the, of the motor, if it's essentially uh, braking or coasting. And you can choose what is the, um, uh, the voltage, uh, sorry, there's the frequency of the PWM, and then there's essentially the voltage or the duty cycle of it. Uh, so all of that we can do in either Arduino or in CircuitPython. I'm doing it in CircuitPython. Uh, so now you can see, if we, if we get into the next little bits of this thing, I've got a feather and I'm using these nice stacky header pins. So these, these are uh, both a socket and a pin. Just goes through, you solder them in place. It can drop into a breadboard or any other thing, but it still has the sockets on, on the top of it. And the reason I want that is so that I can plug it into this guy right here, which is my little favorite friend, the screw terminal feather wing. And this gives us a few things that are, that are helpful here. For one thing, when we plug the motor shield on top of, or the motor feather wing on top of the feather, uh, if we wanna still plug in our um, touch pin and the voltage and ground and analog read of the potentiometer, we're gonna need to either add some headers on top. There's a little, little spot here to add headers. Um, but that can get a little tricky because we, we need like five or four of the voltage output and we need four grounds and, and we only have one or two of those on here. Um, so by adding this, we first of all get nice screw terminals to hook up those output outputs. So again, it's kind of convenient for, for putting it together. Um, we also get some more duplicates of things. We have multiple three volt, multiple ground. Uh, we have some prototyping area here. So if we need to add something or other, like I'm gonna have these four one mega ohm resistors that go from ground to the pin that I'm plugging touch into, the 12, 11, 10, and nine. Uh, this gives you a nice little neat place to do that. You're not gonna build anything huge on there, but it's pretty good. Uh, and it also gives you a nice on off switch. So uh, I'm a fan of, of using this in this type of application. You could probably also do all of this on a feather tripler maybe, put feather motor wing side by side and then have that third spot for all your connections uh, and, and a little bit of a circuit. Um, but I'm, I'm going with this so far. It seems like it, it's, uh, it's gonna be a nice way to do it. It also gives me some, some nice big M3 mounting screws. Um, only word of, of warning is you have to be a little careful. The stacking header is a skinny header compared to your typical header. It's quite thin, so they're, they're flexy and a pain in the neck to, to get into there sometimes. So you gotta push on just right. Uh, so if we plug all that together, and right now I don't have the uh, one mega ohm resistor hooked up for the touch, and I don't have any touch uh, code going on. So, so code, uh, code for touch hasn't been written, it's not going to do anything. Um, but what I have started with is just the basics of moving this thing 
as slowly and as smoothly as I can. So this is going to be a desk sculpture. Uh, I'm going to end up with multiple of these, I think mounted vertically. Uh, and I'm not quite sure what the enclosure is going to look like or what I'll connect to the ends, if I'm going to just leave these fader caps on uh, or if I'm going to string some, uh, I don't know, I might light up some of our little LED nudes between them to do sort of a little wave pattern that's, that glows would be kind of cool. Um, but whatever it is, I want these to move somewhat elegantly. So uh, these love to move fast. These will zip around. But what I, what I was working on was how to get them moving uh, pretty smoothly, as smoothly as I could. So I'll, I'll show you how well I did uh, and talk about, talk about the approach to that. So uh, I just plugged in power for the, let me turn this off. Uh, yeah, so power for the motor feather wing, we get an LED lighting up saying, okay, this power input right here, that's, that's live. So we, so we have power on it, that's one thing. Uh, second thing is I need to power the feather uh, so that's USB-C into this Feather RP2040. And then last thing is I've got this on-off switch. And I forget about this a lot. When I haven't used these in a while, I plug in my Feather and I go, why is it not working? And then at some point, thankfully, at some point, I remember that this thing has an on-off switch that might be in the off position. Um, so I'll turn that on. And now you see, let me turn it this way, we get this nice, smooth back and forth of of this. It's not stepping or chattering too much. It's uh, not making a ton of noise. And all of these things can be a struggle to achieve with, uh, with the DC motor. So um, I was happy to be able to arrive at that. And what I'll, what I'll say is I would uh, not have gotten there if it weren't for Jan Goolsby, Seagrover's guide on working with DC motors in Circuit Python. Actually, it might just be on microcontrollers. He has some Arduino sections as well. Uh, so what I wanted to do was, uh, I'll, I'll turn this off now. Just flip this off switch and show you that guide because I knew it was there and I knew it was going to be important someday. And that day came. So uh, I will jump back over to the learn section here and. See. Improved brushed DC motor performance is the guide. Um, so this is terrific. It gives you some uh, theory, some code, uh, a real understanding of what you're trying to solve here and why. Uh, Jan originally approached this because he has a long-standing tradition of designing and racing these string racer cars against his brother, and he's got a, a strong desire to win. So. Uh, he put his engineering skills to use in coming up with optimal um, code for, for telling these DC motors how to, how to perform. Uh, talks about both uh, the uh, physical construction of the motor, how they work, uh, and how that relates to controlling them. Uh, this section here, duty cycle, uh, talks about how you uh, generally in our libraries give it a negative one up through a positive one float value that equates to the duty cycle, how, how often a square wave is at its uh, peak. And then it also talks about the decay mode, which has to do with um, some internal circuitry on these motor drivers and motors that allow them to either coast or break uh, using sort of um, regenerative braking type of uh, generator mode. 
and then also how the, the PWM frequency impacts uh, this. Now, interesting thing is, um, I'll, I'll hook that up in a second and we'll, we'll mess around with this. The default PWM frequency of the motor kit, which is what I'm using with that motor driver, is 1600 hertz. And uh, at that PWM, you need to give it a lot of juice and it has very little torque, but it moves fast. And that was actually not at all what I was looking for. So only when I dropped it all the way down to 50 hertz, which is a, a really good starting point using, uh, using some of these motors and motor drivers, did I start to get the performance that I wanted. And then, I, then it was a matter of just kind of tuning things until I liked it. Uh, but that doesn't um, mean that's the only way to do it. Jan also has some discussion of measuring motor performance so that you can um, actually understand the performance graph based on different PWM frequency, duty cycle, uh, and decay modes. And there are some practical code examples here for uh, using code inside of the different Cricut motor drivers, uh, the Featherwing and Motor Shield, which are, are very similar. Uh, and I think there are some other examples here, some breakout boards and H-bridge H chips if you're just using those. Uh, so this is a lifesaver. Also some ideas that Todd Kurt gave me uh, uh, allowed me to, to approach it this way. So I want to thank both Todd and Jan for the big help in, in making this work. Um, and what I'll do is I will jump into a this view and I'll move my little snowy display. Hey, that's gotten good and snowy, hasn't it? It's still chugging along, still adding pixels, uh, but some of them are black, so it's never going to finish. So let me grab both my DC power and the gizmo. And I have never had a great understanding of, of the PWM and the frequency and the, the duty cycle, and I still don't have a great one, but it's definitely improved. So I want to th <laughs> thanks to Jan and thanks for uh, Lady Ada asking me to do this project to make me have to figure out how to get these things to, to move gently. All right, I'm going to unplug that little snowy display. And I will fire up this feather again. focus. Ooh, that is a real warm white balance. Let me back that off. There we go. Uh, it doesn't love that orientation because there's some weight actually to that, uh, that little end there and some torque that it's causing. What I'll do actually, let me see if I can set it somewhere that it'll stay. Mostly put. Uh-oh. There we go. It's back. Uh, focus looks decent, yeah? Good. So let me open the code for that. Okay, uh, so what am I doing? Oh, I'm printing out my 
potentiometer, the, the fader's reading when it reaches uh, the target. So I think I've told it to go 255 to zero. It's getting close. It's going 253 to about two or three. So that's not bad. Uh, looking at the code here, what I've got going on is I'm importing both motor and motor kit libraries. So motor kit is what lets you use the this specific board uh, over I squared C. So the motor feather wing over I squared C, also the um, motor shield. So they use motor kit, which bundles up, makes a bunch of things convenient. So you can see the setup is pretty simple. The reason I'm bringing in motor is that I need it to be able to uh, specify decay mode, which as it turns out, I really like the default. So I don't need this. The default is fast decay, but I wanted to show you both. Um, and this is some of the, the crucial stuff here. So I've set up the motor wing over I squared C. These are based on Jan's uh, sample code here, the ideas on, on how to implement the frequency here. So I'm setting up my frequency to be 80, uh, 80 hertz. Uh, this is creating the motor object. And then I'm setting the decay mode there. That's the default. And then I'm setting my throttle. That, that breaks it. Setting it to zero is a break. Uh, setting it to false, I think, is what the coast is, if I remember. Um, I've got, in this case, just a couple saved positions. And let me leave, I'll leave those. We can mess with that more later. Um, the rest of this is really similar to what I was doing before in the last project. So I'm reading an analog input here, which is the fader. Uh, I'm creating a uh, remap of the 16-bit value it uses internally and setting that to be 256, 0 to 255. Uh, I have a little state object here, or state variable for the fader position. Then I have a little clamping function. I'm actually not using that anymore. I can get rid of that. Uh, and then this is my go to position, which is much simplified compared to uh, the previous version because I'm not doing any sort of PID stuff to slow down. Because I'm already moving so slow, I don't overshoot. Before, I was moving quickly, and so I had to um, use some PID code to taper off the, the speed as I near the destination. Otherwise, we would overshoot and sort of oscillate chatter. So what's happening inside of this function is we have a variable called fader position, uh, which is where the fader is right now, based on this little getting an integer version of subdividing the fader value by 256 into 256 chunks. Uh, that's what I'm printing. Then I have the um, check for, are we moving up or down? Are we, are we lower than or higher than the new position that we're trying to head to? And that just determines if we essentially move positive or negative directions. Uh, I set my throttle speed here. This is something I was tuning. So I've set this quite low. Uh, so I have a throttle of 0.125. So that is, um, I don't know, roughly a little less than a volt because I'm feeding this nine volts if I have, if I'm thinking of this properly. And please check the, the Discord because Jan is there, C. Grover, thank you. If you see uh, glaring uh, problems, please let us know. And then if I'm uh, smaller than the new position, then I'm gonna go in the opposite direction, which happens to be negative. You would swap those if you swapped the wiring on it. It's, uh, you, you can go either way. Then, uh, not doing that anymore. Here is all that's happening in the code right now is I check how many saved positions I have in that list. There's just two right now, and I go to them. 
So I go to one, I go to the other, I'm not even pausing. So check this out. If I, we'll remember that number 80, I liked it, but if I do the default, which is 1600, or if I just don't bother setting it at all, but I'll, I'll go ahead and set it explicitly. So 1600 hertz is the default. Uh, and I'll hit save. It's just sitting there struggling because I have such a low voltage that I'm sending it uh, that it just can't get going when it tries to ping the motor that quickly. So now I've got to juice this uh, throttle speed up. Let's remember that, 0.125. Actually, I'm going to just comment that. And negative, comment those. So now let's spring it up to one and negative one. That's the defaults. Bam, 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 bam. Leave that thing go. It's too fast. That's kind of what happens when you first use the defaults. Let's, let's cut that down a bit. Let's go to 0.7. Woo! Hey, better. Now you can see why I needed the uh, PID code before when I was operating at high frequencies, or even if I wasn't, if I wanted to move fast, if I wanted to send it pretty, pretty close to my maximum voltage, uh, then I need to slow that speed down as I near the target, or we, you can hear I'm cl clicking on the ends. What I'll do, I, I will make the stop points shorter. Let's go to 220 and 20, or and 30, how about? No, not 300, whoops. Okay, so now I'm not clicking against the ends. I'm, I'm guessing you could hear that terrible noise. Yeah, the Tommy gun fader. It's scary. Uh, so that thing's moving fast, it's nice. I mean, if you're using this in a, another type of project where you wanna get somewhere quickly, awesome. Um, let's see how it does if I tell it to go to the halfway point. Uh, let's say, what is that, about one, let's say 127. Uh, so we'll go, We'll go to the halfway points. Shouldn't look any different, right? What if we pause while, once we get there? Okay, see how it's kind of overshooting? That middle position should be the same every time. And it, depending on the direction it's going, there's just inertia. Um, so, couple things about that. One is, use the PID code like before. Other is, what if we change this decay mode? So a fast decay essentially just goes into coasting. It, it tells the motor, hey, just lay off. Uh, the slow decay mode kind of does regenerative braking. It uses the, it, it cuts the power, but it keeps the connection. And so it um, treats the motor like a generator and you know how hard it is to turn a generator when it's not getting power. Um, so let's see how it does with that. Okay, it's different, it bounces a lot though. Here's where I don't know what the answer is other than going slower or trying to use that PID code. Um, but I'd be curious uh, if Jan has any ideas uh, in the chat about that, how you would go about dealing with this. And for, for me, yeah, there's, there's nuance, right? The, the nuance that I found is trying these modes, changing the frequency and adjusting the, the speed value, that throttle value. Uh, so let's see, what happens if we go drop the frequency in half? 
better, right? It's not overshooting quite as much. But it still has a lot of inertia there. So it doesn't, doesn't really slow it down that well, but I, I, I don't see the bounces at the ends either. Uh, so naturally you'd be like, hey, let's just drop the power. But pretty quickly here at these high frequencies, it just starts to stall. So let's go, how about 0.3, can it do it? That's kind of nice. I don't hate that. It's still faster than I want for my sculpture, but um, the point being, depending on what you're doing, it's not a, a really quick and easy recipe to getting the motors to behave the way that you want them to. I like this. Now, one thing with mine is that, with my projects, is I want this to be vertical. Uh, I don't need it to pull much of a load, but even being vertical, I started to notice the speed was... Uh, struggling, fast, fast, struggle, struggle. So gravity actually really helps it um, and hurts it when it's heading back up. So here you could say, okay, let's, let's change what the values are. Um, mouse says use a PID. Is it always the right answer? Um, could be. PID code is confusing and tricky. Um, so let's drop this frequency. What happens at half of that? Okay, what happens if I make the upper voltages lower? Hey, it's starting to move sort of slow, but sort of hinky. Uh, what if I drop this way down? Let's go down to 25 hertz. Now you can see the steps, right? It goes brrrr, camera a little. I'll put this sideways again because I think it's a little easier to see. Will that work? Yeah. Uh, again, I apologize if the video frame rate isn't enough. I'm not quite sure what how it's uh, looking on your end, but I see a little brrr, 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 just because the steps are so big with this low, low frequency. Uh, and I think 24 is the bottom end of, of what this motor wing can do. Uh, so if I double that, let's say to 50, which is a really nice starting point. Okay, it's a little chattery still. And this was the game I went through to get to around 90, 80 or 90. Um, let's drop this even more. Now it moves pretty smoothly, really smoothly in real life. I'm seeing some some uh, frame rate stuff on my feed. Uh, and then I found that this fast decay actually felt slower and smoother. Uh, and you can imagine I'll be tuning this more. Uh, if, I, if I feel like it's not quite enough oomph, we get more torque as we drop that, um, that frequency. And this is nice right here. So, I, so that's, that's how I arrived at that. Um, but big, uh, oh good, thank you. DJ Devin said it's smooth on your end. Yeah, I think it's just the, the preview that I see here gets, gets stuttery. Um, yeah, in fact, if I make my broadcast software have uh, uh, focus, then it, then it looks better. So this is looking nice. Uh, like I said, this is drawing about 0.6 amps. Uh, so to do four of these, I'm gonna need a bigger supply. Uh, and I've, 
I have not done this, but typical trick is to put a little capacitor across the leads on the uh, on the motor too, which can help with smoothing. I'm not sure in this case if that's a, a good or a bad idea, but I might try that out. Um, so I just wanted to share that because that was my process of, of saying, can I get one of these faders to act like a much slower, smoother, happier linear actuator? Uh, and the answer is yes. And the answers are right there in Jan's guide. So thank you again so much for this. This is a, a huge help. Like I said, I knew it was there waiting in the wings. I just uh, hadn't had the project yet where I, where I was going to spend the time looking through it, but it was a, a terrific help. So thanks, Jan, for that. Uh, so here's a nice big view of, of the motor there. Oh, it's not so as in focus as I thought, <laughs> now that I see it large. It, there we go. Uh, at this speed, too, it's kind of nice. You can see the little belt right here little toothed belt, rubber toothed belt that's driving from the gear uh, at the end of the shaft, pulling the actuator, and then there's a pulley on the other end that, it's, that it goes through. So that's how that works. There's a little bit of vibration there, but that's uh, to be expected with these low, low frequencies on the PWM. All right, well, I think that's all I got uh, to show you about that, but I will be putting together um, the rest of the code, figuring out how I'm getting four of these to work together nicely from a power standpoint, as well as trying to create an input for maybe some different animations, different speeds, waves. Um, I'm planning to use four of them. It would probably look nice with three as well uh, and see if I can do sine wave things and, you know, shapes and, and things like that, which if I connect them with some, some flexible something or other, especially those LED nudes, that might look really cool. Um, give it some, some sort of extra motion to it. So that is it. That's the genesis of the Fader Sculpture project. Thanks everyone for stopping by. That's gonna do it for uh, my workshop show for the week. Don't forget, run out and buy Fruit Brute cereal because it's healthy and delicious. It's one of those, it's delicious. Uh, and that coupon code right there, Fruit Brute, will get you 10% off in the Adafruit store. So do that first. And if you have any money left over, go to Target and get your, get your fruit. Uh, this is not at all sponsored by General Mills or Target in any way, by the way. I just am a fan. 10% uh, off in the store. That applies to anything you can get except for software, gift certificates, and subscriptions. But throw some stuff in your cart. Chuck that fruit brute code in there and, and save a little bit of money. Get some cool stuff. Uh, thanks everyone so much for stopping by today. It was a lot of fun and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Don't forget we've got uh, Deep Dive with Foamy Guy, Tim C, coming up tomorrow, I believe, maybe even Saturday as well. There's some cool stuff going on with uh, flip number displays happening as well as uh, I think the Octopus Game & Watch project uh, wrapped up recently. There might be other work on that. And then next week we start all over again with, I'll have my product pick of the week on Tuesday. We'll have 3D Hangouts on Wednesday. We'll have Show and Tell Wednesday evening. We'll have Ask an Engineer after that. Then this show again and uh, repeat and repeat and repeat. Thanks everyone for making that possible. I'll see you next time for Adafruit Industries. This has been John Park for Adafruit Industries with John Park's Workshop. Yeah, that's me. Bye.